I always say that people will spend more time planning for a two-week vacation than they will for their permanent vacation after life. And it is so true. It is so, so true that people do not want to address it. I think, I don't know the statistics exactly, but roughly 50% of the people over 50 have an effective will, healthcare proxy, and power of attorney. So, you know, one out of two very smart, successful people are just not addressing it. Welcome to Your Next Big Project is You, a podcast based around the theme of time. Time to be able to press pause on life. Time to reevaluate what's important. Time to reminisce about where you've come from, what you've learned, and what you've accomplished. Time to revisit your goals, dreams, and vision. In time to remember the people in your life. That's it, my friends. If you've got time, fasten your seatbelt and listen in as we discuss opportunities for the next five to 25 years of your life. And remember, your next big project is you. Welcome to our podcast. Your next big project is you. I've got a special guest today, someone that I've known for over two decades. That's right, Mark Colgan from suburbs of Rochester, New York, and spends a lot of his time in the Adirondacks as well. Mm -hmm. Going back and forth over our, our getaway destinations, right, Mark, over the years? That's right. The, like one thing, the one thing we have in common is we both love the mountains. Yours might yeah. be a little bit more west and mine's north, but it's all good. You like a little bit more green. I prefer the brown. I get enough green when I'm back east, so... Yeah. Mark, I've had the pleasure, as I said here in my opening, to know you for over two decades now. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that you've had such a successful journey in the wealth management business. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, sure, Leo. You know, it, it started a long time ago, back in 1993. And I, I remember that pretty well because that's when email was invented. I think the first email went out of MIT or the story goes something like that. But I can remember sitting in my Edward Jones office that summer of 93 and uh, dialing up AOL with the, you know, with the modem back then. So yeah, I started out early um, a long time ago. Well, I remember you because it was after Edward Jones and you were at a regional firm there and mm -hmm. we actually had some time to, uh, experience some value introspection together, talking about uh, the discovering your value, value ladder process. So I'm happy that that's where we really got off and running with our friendship in, in, mm -hmm. in a flip chart, pretty much in a flip charter. Like, is this, tell me about Mark Colgan. Tell me about what you do. Tell me what drives your thinking. Tell me how you work with people. So um, Mark, it was interesting. I was thinking on the preparing and the one thing that stands out to me it was right after 9-11. Mm -hmm. And I remember following up with you, you know, me living in beautiful Buffalo, you living 60 miles or so away up in east of me up in Rochester, New York area. Yeah. I remember we were in a bagel place in the suburbs of Rochester. And you and I were talking and we we're just having conversation. I thought everything was good with you and, you know, just talking about life after 9-11, right? Yeah, I remember Brugger's, Brugger's Bagelry, yeah. Brugger's Bagelry. You, you, yeah. you looked at me and you said, you don't, you don't know, do you? Or you haven't heard. And I'm like, I'm like, well, know what? Heard about what? 
And it was this conversation, this two by four hit that you had um, in a major loss. This kind of changed your life. And I know you're at a point now, two decades later, to talk about it a little easier. But tell us about that two by four hit and the conversation that we had. Yeah, well, um, I, I, it was it was a it was a rough time when I when I met you. It was just before 9-11 um, or around there when we were talking, actually, just maybe after 9-11. Right. And <clears throat> I had been in the business for since 1993. So, right, I've been in the business for about seven years or so. And um, I had been married to Joanne and we had a really good life. We had a, lo- a lot of good things going for us. But on September 4th, just literally a week before 9-11 yeah she died she died suddenly and it it really rocked my world i mean she you know she had some challenges she had some medical challenges and uh you know we knew that that would result with complications and such but quite frankly that her death was to me sudden and and unexpected uh it, it was a morning i'll never forget I'd, I'd be happy to share more detail if you like um because I, I think that that morning and the details that do surround everything kind of helped you get a little better insight as to me and why I'm so passionate about financial planning. Yeah, I want to, I, I believe it'd be great for the audience to hear that if you're comfortable sharing more of the story, Mark, that mm-hmm. the things that I remember is you calling up to her when you were ready to leave after yeah. working out. I remember years ago, you telling me about her father, like pounding on that, the ambulance or the hearse, I forget what it was, and people asking you questions. I remember an eventual butterfly. It was part of the story, and it became so. Do you to tell us more? Fill the blanks for us here. Well, uh, it was a morning I'll never forget. I, I, you know, the alarm clock went off, and you know, typical is like, ah, kind of grunt a little bit, thinking to myself, I really don't want to go work out, but I should do this. And so I, I woke up. I gave Joanne kind of that routine morning kiss. And I said, I'm going to head downstairs to get my workout taken care of. Um, went downstairs on the treadmill to do my thing. And, and uh, you know, when I came back upstairs, I was, I, I was kind of struck by the view of opening up my bedroom door to find my wife of seven years, my, my very best friend, um, clearly had passed away uh i i of course did everything i could i i ran over to her i called 911 i did my best at trying to revive her through through cpr and um the attempt was failed of course and um it was interesting it, it was almost like a time warp that morning um Called 911. I kind of remember the details about trying to revive her, but it seems like almost instantaneously the bedroom was full. I mean, I don't know how all these people got in my house. It must have just broke right through the front door, but the bedroom was full of emergency medical technicians, firemen, policemen. Um, at some point, uh, we someone was able to notify her parents, and, and they showed up, and furniture was flying across the bedroom and they were trying to revive her. And, you know, that was, that was the morning that, that she died. And, um, it was quite disturbing. I mean, I, 
I had gone from waking up with her and giving her a good morning kiss to to that within a matter of an hour and a half. And by the afternoon, Leo, I was I was picking up grave sites for her and 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 for me. And I was answering questions on the phone about autopsy and um, you know, I had to go out the other probably one of the most tragic scenes visually I can never think of in my life was when, you know, that morning still, you know, we were answering a bunch of questions. And then I look out my window and I saw her husband, her, her dad was just pounding on the glass of the, of the ambulance. I mean, he was heartbroken to see his daughter in, in the back of uh, the ambulance. And it was, uh, it was, it was, very dramatic, needless to say. I can't even imagine this uh, father or grandfather. And I know you've been blessed to have two more, two kids right now. We'll talk about that in time here. Um, can't imagine, just can't. I'm, I'm, my heart still is with you on this. And I know things have turned around in, uh, in, in a really great way for you and your life and your new wife, uh, Kathy, and your two children and stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll finish on that. But what was interesting, Mark, is how, how you took this tragedy and you, you turned it into something. Like it was almost like a, a calling, a purpose, a mission to help others dealing with grief and with unexpected death like this. And I, I, I know this transformed itself into your first book project. And I believe it was called Details After Deaths that is now uh, elevated to the, the newest version that's going to be launched. Uh, <laughs> called Death's Red Tape, if I've got that right. Tell us more about the book and what are you hoping the book is going to do for people that have gone experiences like you have or are losing other loved ones in different ways? Well, I'll start by telling you this. It, it was a, a very interesting conflict. I, even at, at that point, I had been in the business for a while, right? And I was a certified financial planner. So I had all the credentials. I had seven years of experience, um, lots of knowledge, but the the hours, days, and even weeks that followed Joanne's death were just very overwhelming. And even with all of my knowledge, I was struggling. I mean, I think what people don't realize is you're just so emotionally consumed with everything that even if you have the knowledge, it's pretty hard to find it. You know, you're you're just overwhelmed. Your your brain is not firing on all cylinders. And so, uh, as a as a means of just getting through this, I was keeping a journal. You know, like a kind of like a one of these yellow pads, and I was just writing stuff down, saying to myself, I I got to keep track of this. One for myself, but two, if I can somehow transfer this knowledge and experience to something that's practical that can help my clients, then wow, maybe I can make some, you know, lemonade out of the lemons, if you will. And so I jotted all this stuff down. And um, one day I was out to lunch with an attorney and I kind of was flipping through all my notes and showing this. And he said what I thought he was joking, but he said, you know, you should, you should make that into a book. I'm like, ah, that, yeah, sure. No, why not? And, but then I got thinking about it and I said, why not? Yeah, why not? So I actually wrote the book myself. I self-published it back then. I put it on Amazon. And all of a sudden I started getting people buying the book 
and making comments about how helpful it was. That, as you can imagine, was so inspiring for me to say, wait a minute, maybe I can use this as an opportunity to help others that are in this crisis mode and help them get through it, through such a really dark chapter in their life. And so um, the book Details After Death has been out for quite some time. And it really just came time for me to give it a fresh update. So um, I'm working with a publisher now. The book is just released and it's called Death's Red Tape. And it, that's exactly what it is. It sounds terrible, but unfortunately with death comes the red tape, the administrative and the logistic things that the people really have to deal with. Like they don't want to deal with it, but they kind of have to do with that or there could be some risks. So the book, I guess you asked out to answer your question, Leo, about what are the two things I, I would hope it had accomplished. You know, I think one of them would be to help people avoid making big financial missteps. Now, I've seen where people that are grieving, they, they really want to get through the grief. So sometimes people kind of speed along and figure, well, if I can get this checklist taken care of, you know, maybe I'll get through this painful process quicker. And what they do is they don't know it, but haphazardly they're, you know, they're, they're, they're making missteps that could cost them a lot of money financially. Um, so hopefully the book will bring some awareness and um, expertise to them that they would have, you know, basically will help them avoid those kind of mistakes. And the other thing, which isn't necessarily a direct benefit of the book, but perhaps one of the fringe benefits that I hope it will provide is some, some calming peace of mind that says, wait a minute, I've, I've got this instruction manual. I've got this guide, if you will, that's going to take me through the process. I can slow down. And, and as you would say, take a time out, right? Take a, take a lifetime out, slow down, and let me just focus more on celebrating my loved one's death, right? Embrace that moment where you can reflect on the memories and spend time with the family and just don't feel like you need to rush through things. And, and so hopefully the book will help them do that too. Yes, yeah, fascinating what you've learned in this. It's just amazing. When you, when you, when you think about some of the words you're sharing with me and phrases, grieving, uh, crisis mode, dark mm -hmm. times. I was going to, I wanted, I wanted to follow up with the question, what you've really learned from this experience in helping people to talk about their demise, because nobody wants to talk about dying. I mean, mm -hmm. I would think people would rather pull their fingernails out than <laughs> engage in a discussion around death in their mm -hmm. own death or their spouse's death or significant others or someone like this. And so, what are some of the other learnings in getting people to think about this or to embrace this properly in a subject that nobody wants to talk about? I, I always say that people will spend more time planning for a two-week vacation than they will for their permanent vacation after life. And it is so true. It is so, so true that people do not want to address it. I think I don't know the statistics exactly, but roughly 50% of the people over 50 have an effective will, healthcare proxy, and power of attorney. 
So, you know, one out of two very smart, successful people are just not addressing it. And it's clear, right? People don't, you know, you don't get excited and say, hey, I think I'm going to plan the details surrounding my death today. Of course, it's not exciting, but it is the responsible thing to do. So um, unfortunately, I've yet to find the magic to motivate people to do it. Um, I do believe, and, and I'm proud to say that I, I'd like to think the success rate of my clients is much higher than 50% because I am educating them and doing my best to motivate them to, to plan the details. Um, but yeah, that it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty tough to get people to do it. Mark, it's not planning a two week vacation. I I'm out here in Scottsdale and watching people, they'll spend more time planning their next golf shot, let alone <laughs> two week yeah. vacation. Yeah. Right. Uh, and thinking about this subject and to do this, you know, who wants to talk about it? As I said, but what's interesting is how, how you've elevated your game. And I know what's made you so successful in your practice is that you're so authentic and that you've, you're able to humanize this from your personal experience. Mm -hmm. And now it's manifested into other value that you're providing your clients as well as even beyond your clients based right now to the broad marketplace. You've started this or you've, you've launched this, my, my wisdomwill.com. There's another area building off of the uh, Death's Red Tape book itself. Tell us more about this website and how this will help people. Well, uh, let me just say, if I may, before I answer that question, Leo, the, the things that I've learned from my experiences really have made me a better planner. Um, I will get to the website too, um, for sure. But literally, I just wanted to share a quick story that came to mind I, about an hour and a half ago. I just met a woman recently widowed and, you know, her, her natural inclination was to quickly mention her husband's name, Ed, and go into some other conversation, uh, probably thinking that I wasn't comfortable talking about it because she didn't know me. This is the first time she had met me. She didn't understand that this is what I do. And so I said, just, for, let's pause for a moment. What was your husband's name? She said, Ed. I said, tell me about Ed and, and tell me about your relationship. And, you know, it was this, this bright light that came about her. She was beaming with the explanation about Ed and what he used to do. And um, just a little tidbit of saying to people, the, the, the deceased name is not forbidden, right? It should be celebrated. In, in today's world, it seems as though a lot of people, they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to write down that person's name, and I'm not going to bring it up because they're going to go into a tailspin. Not necessarily true. I mean, everybody's different, but um, I think the understanding of being able to relate to people and, and just talk in terms that um, are, you know, about caring and loving and what that person was like can really help them understand that you're there to help. And then I went on to share with her my personal story and the book, et cetera. And I feel that I can really make a huge difference in her life in the next 12 months. And I told her there's no hurry. Let's, let's just take one step at a time. So um, I think that's what's really helped me grow as a, as a financial planner and a wealth advisor is simply some of those personal experiences, but some of those little antidotes to, to, uh, to sprinkle into the process, if you will, 
to make it more real. And um, in your question about the website, well, that, so one of the things that I've done in my financial planning practice beyond what I just shared was that I like to get people thinking proactively, not just about the mechanics of, okay, when I die, this person's going to get that and this person's role is going to be this, uh, you know, that's great. Like the will and or trust, et cetera, absolute must. But where I get real excited, if you will, is talking about the soft side of their estate plan. Um, the soft side, meaning the things that probably are never mentioned in your will, such as raising the kids, any little tips, uh, maybe taking care of the dog, or it could be uh, information about the service contract on the heater or where to kick it on the left side to make sure that it keeps operating right. Uh, it could be information about um, your strategy around online banking, or it could be details around where the passwords are, a love letter, all these other things that come into play that are never recorded. And so I developed a website, mywisdomwill.com. And it's really nothing more than a simple tool that prompts users with 25 commonly asked questions that help them express these practical and personal details that are not mentioned in their will. And that way, when they pass on, they're, they're words of wisdom that can really help that person go get through that transition a little bit easier. Yeah. Did you at one time reference these as the emotional will, the emotional aspects? Uh, I know years ago when you were mm -hmm. venturing and helping people to plan their legacies and to do things around this whole issue of, of death and planning properly and stuff, but it, isn't the more, a lot of the more emotional types of things as well? sharing my core values, things that are really important to me beyond the money and things like this? It can be. I know exactly what you're thinking of. Um, in the 15th century, if you go back and Google this, it's pretty fascinating. Um, there was what was known as an ethical will. Mm -hmm. And the ethical will really was highly regarded as being more valuable to the next generation than the legal will because uh, back in the 15th or 16th century, it was real privilege to pass on knowledge and wisdom. And so those became very, very popular. Somewhere along the way, the ethical will kind of lost its lacquer and, and it just kind of faded a bit. You can still find some information about ethical wills. But uh, when I had done my research, I went back and I thought, that's kind of where I'm going with this emotional stuff. I feel like all of this needs to be brought back into the estate planning process rather than just making it so mechanical like it is today. If we could develop an ethical will type solution, which I kind of rebranded the wisdom will, I think that could really um, develop the whole soft side of the estate plan and just make it more meaningful. Well, and you are extending discussions into meaningful goals that are torn to people, I know, through your planning approach. And I'm just proud of you as a buddy from knowing you for over two decades now and seeing you in my class years ago. struggling uh -huh. yeah. putting answers up on a chart and how life experiences have molded you 
to be this black belt, Navy SEAL, world-class advisor. And I know when you're dealing with people around this discussion of meaning, meaningful goals, and I, I know from doing my additional research and knowing you as well as I do, that so many people are talking about, you know, their estimated lifetime income and with, you know, what money they need to withdraw. But you, you're taking on a different approach, not just in terms of money you need to withdraw, but where's the game plan relative to spending? Mm -hmm. it'd, be interesting, it'd be interesting to get your perspectives on that as well. Yeah, I, I love this topic, Leo. Our, our industry means well, and I, I think it's a wonderful industry. It really can make profound changes in people's lives if, if advice is delivered properly. But that said, I, I do feel that it's skewed a little bit towards save, 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 save. And, you know, and then everybody saves this big bundle of money. They don't have a lot of goals associated with it, but they work their whole life. They save this big pot of money. And then the number one fear is across the United States, um, and it, it's these surveys come out time and time again, the number one fear is I'm going to run out of money. Well, that's kind of awful. I mean, you spend your whole life saving, and then you retire, and your number one fear is running out of money. In fact, 60% of the people feared running out of money more than death, okay? So I, I liken that to all right, let's say you, you plan a, a, a trip across the United States and you want to do, um, you want to see all the national parks, right? So you get the kids in the car and you get this whole plan. You got your trip tick or whatever it might be. Maybe it's Google Maps today, but, and you're, you're going across the country on this wonderful extravagant tour across the United States. And if all you're doing is obsessing over the, the gas gauge, because you're just worried about running out of gas, and you're constantly looking down, am I gonna run out of gas? Am I gonna run out of gas? It, it, you're, you're not looking out the window at all the beauty. You're, you're, you're missing out on all the opportunity that's right around you. And so I feel that a lot of the financial planning is so um, stressed around, am I gonna run out of money? And you know, is the market's gonna come up and market's gonna go down? I like to spin it around a little bit and say, let's create a strategy around how to spend your money. Let's let's try to make this financial plan such that you de you deplete the money down to the point where you know you're you've got either little or nothing left or you've got whatever you want to bequest to your children that's fine but let's find a way to spend it and that really kind of gives people a little smirk and they're like oh yeah let, let's do that let's find it and so um, I like to put together that punch list of things like you know, kind of like the bucket list type of thing, I'll, I'll say, you know, and what, what are some things that we want to do that can uh, be experiential where you can spend time with people that you love and spend time doing more of what you love? Well, someone said to me once, and I'm going to say it to you, you're not too passionate about that discussion, are you, Mark? <laughs> I know I get people. Hearing the story of that widow and her, and her husband, Ed, let's say, we are able to slow down and it's almost like you're driving in a 15 mile an hour school zone. And when I ask you about this withdrawal versus spending strategy, you just raised it to 65 miles an hour. And I can yeah. feel your passion for helping people to achieve things in their life that were probably important. And why, why not stay passionate? You worked your rear end off your whole life. Mm -hmm. you get to a certain point. We should be celebrating 
in figuring things out and what we want to do rather than worrying about you know, we might not have enough. That's, that's what you were there the last 20 or 30 years to help them to make sure they could do all those things that, that they wanted to do. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Uh, and you know, some of this YOLO, you only live once attitude clearly is because of some of my life experiences. That's <laughs> that's where it's the, the energy is coming from. But nonetheless, uh, I had a client of mine and his name is Scott and great guy. He's working to the bone. He's in his 40s. His kids are kind of middle school age. And, you know, I, I said, D have you ever like, do you ever go on vacations or no, no, life's too busy. This, that, and everything. I got to work. I got, you know, I got six days a week and I got customers, this and that. And I said, I, I feel like it would be a great idea to hit pause and, 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 and just start an annual tradition of going to down South somewhere. And so he kind of ranted about money a little bit. I'm like, look, I've been doing this a long time. I've never had a client run out of money and knock on my door to spend the night. I don't think it's going to be you either. So why don't you take the money and book a trip and then come back and let me know what you think. He did. And that he called me and thanked me saying, you know, I needed that kick in the rear to, to just do it. And, and you inspired me to do it. He's like, we had such a good time. We're making it an annual tradition. And that comment came to me about 10 years ago. And to this day, he still, he still takes his kids every year. I mean, they're now they're graduated and such, but they still make a point of getting together. And so I think that just inspiring people to say, it's okay to spend your money, um, you know, can, can really make a profound difference in, in their life experience. Yeah. You know, Mark, you have turned around a tragedy 21 ago into a amazing blessed life in story of your consultation to your client, you're helping him and his family to live an extraordinary and blessed life for what's important to him, quality time with his family and experiencing things. You, 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 you sort of pushed him over the ledge a little bit, you know, verbally helping mm -hmm. him, you know, through your consultation, through your advice, through your mentorship, through, through your planning, uh, the work that you do so well. You did a great job. You're living a charm life now with your wife, Kathy, and your two children, Chris and Emily. How are you living your values today? Well, let's focus on one of my, my you know, highest values is time. And I work hard, but but I, I would say that I, I play hard too. Um, so one of the things that we do is we have dinner probably six or seven nights a week. Um, God bless Kathy. She, she makes an incredible homemade meal and we find a way to make it work. Uh, I, you know, my kids are in, in high school, they're in soccer, they're in leagues they're in all kinds of things, but we just make it a very high priority to sit down at dinner and, and just eat together as a family. It sounds so fundamental, but I think that it is a big thing. And, and then of course, um, you know, that, that time together, it gets even better when, when we're spending time up in the mountains, as I was saying earlier, you know, we have this camp that we invested in uh, kind of like a cottage on the lake up there in fourth Lake. And, oh my gosh, we just go up there and have the best time. I mean, we, we, we're having friends up there and family and we're kayaking and laughing and being around the bonfire and just completely enjoying the best of life. So, 
that's probably the the value that I've really instilled in my family and in my personal life that I'm the most proud of. Yeah. I just, uh, I just tend on one question. It's such a uh, compelling life uh, of, of how you're living it within your own, you're living it within your own family. You're practicing what you preach fully. <laughs> that's what makes you so authentic and so real. And why I believe you're so successful, Mark, as well. You were there by my side five years ago when we launched our sabbatical experience. Mm-hmm. We talked about living a life of significance, a life with no regrets, a life filled with abundance, gratitude, perspective, being your best, living your legacy, which was where we really connected at a higher point. One of the, the issues, I'm holding up a card deck where we ask a lot of our participants or members of our cohort, there's one question. I was thinking of a legacy question for you. Uh, we have some fun people ask these questions. Let's end our podcast today on this one. It says, how do you want to be known or remembered? Here you are, still a young entrepreneur, great family, great business. How does Mark Colgan want to be known mm. or remembered yourself? It almost kind of comes back to your wisdom, Will, uh, you know, in, in a way that's got some, some connection points. But, but Mark, how does this question hit you? Known and being, being remembered. That's a great question. It's it's a, a profound question, right? And uh, um, I do remember that at the, at the retreat, uh, which was an incredible experience. And for me, if my legacy is that I'm remembered as that person that inspired someone to live a better life, that somehow I rattled their cage a bit to stop and take a time out and think about what's important and get them to take action. If I'm that catalyst in their life, that as a result of them meeting me means that they had a better life, maybe maybe a life with fewer regrets, then that would be that would be a legacy that I would be super proud of. Yeah. Well, I believe you're doing that, my friend. Uh, I'm blessed to know you and to be uh, to be considered and is is a really great and valued friend. You know, I know that goes both ways here. We, we've always been a, a phone yeah. call away or just what can we do to help each other or to be sounding boards. You've given our listening audience here just phenomenal things to think about and to take away. So I, I from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being who you are and helping to change the lives of people through the great work that you're providing. Much, much appreciated. Thank you, Mark. Absolutely, Leo. It's uh, it's always a pleasure working with you. I know you're a man of providing, serving others as I, and uh, and you do a wonderful job at it well. So uh, I look forward to hearing some of the future podcasts and seeing you out there in the West Coast in the mountains soon. All the best. Thank you, Mark. All right. See you, Leo.